Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time it's episode 138, and we're going to talk about the scary fact that there are no more vans. That's right, folks. If you're in the U.S., there are no more vans. And what are we going to do about that? We're also going to talk about cheap Chinese batteries. Have they become like diesel heaters? Maybe. We're going to review bar shampoo, and we're going to visit a place full of lots of dead people. Because, you know, that sounds like fun. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I think this is going to be a very story-heavy episode because I'm in a storytelling mood, and it's just all this stuff has been flooding in. But first, I have to jump back to something I said last week, which was that the Ram ProMaster City, that is the little tiny ProMaster that doesn't look anything like a full-size ProMaster. In fact, to me, it looks like Snoopy from the Peanuts. Uh, Yeah, it's been discontinued, too. That's right. Next year is the last year for the Ram ProMaster City, and that means the U.S. officially has zero, count them all, zero compact cargo vans available for sale in a new status. And that, of course, means that these used compact cargo vans are going to go up in value because there are a number of reasons why you want a small compact van. Gas mileage obviously being a huge one, but also space. There are those of us who can't fit a full-size van, or some of us just don't want a full-size van. We're perfectly comfortable in a smaller vehicle, and yeah, well, too bad. You can't have that Nobody's making them for you anymore. You're stuck with used. But at least we have our full-size cargo vans we can go back to. Uh, Yeah, kinda. I mean, what do we have left now? As of now, there are four full-sized cargo vans you can buy in the U.S. Those are the Ford Transit, the Ram Promaster, the Chevy-slash-GM Express, and the Mercedes Sprinter which is changing a lot. In fact, we have these four vans, but this landscape is changing a lot too. The Sprinter, which is incredibly expensive, has dropped its diesel line in the US and they're only going to be selling gasoline engines, which I'm actually a fan of, but it does change the vehicle somewhat. And they are a decidedly premium vehicle. They are out of the reach of most folks. If you were one of those folks who wanted to buy a stripped down cargo van with nothing in it, eh, the Sprinter is going to be up there close to some built out rigs. So that may not be a good choice for you. What about the GM and Chevy Express or Savannah, whichever the that's the same thing. They just put different stickers on them. Uh, yeah, it's going away. Uh, 2025, 2026 is the last year for those, and they're not going to be replaced with anything, except maybe this weird van that is electric that is used for service companies. And that leaves the Ford Transit, which is the best-selling van in the U.S. Apparently, they're going to keep making their vans as they always have, and there's also the electric version, too. So what's going on here? If You talk to the car companies, which I'm not, but obviously magazine reporters and people are. They all say declining sales is the reason for this. People have been buying fewer of these vans. But the stats are wonky. With COVID, everything's up in the air with how many things have been purchased. And the stupid chip shortage has changed how we buy vehicles. It used to be that, you know... The dealer would say, this is a $40,000 van, and then you'd negotiate a price and maybe get it for $38,000 or $35,000 if it was near the end of the month or whatever. 
Now you go to the dealer and say, I'd like to buy a van. And they're like, well, we don't have any in stock. We can order one and it'll be available in six months. And we're only charging $5,000 more than retail. So that $40,000 van will be $45,000. Now experiences are varied and change all over the place, but it is no longer the case that you can go to a lot, see a whole row of vans and just pick the one you want. And that's partially because of the chip shortage. But the chip shortage has also created an environment where car companies are reevaluating how they make money. And there has been talk that they might start moving more towards a order of van model, whereas they won't have them on lots. They will just have it so you will order them and that will be normal. And the problem with that is it gives you, the buyer, a whole lot less leverage and it means prices are going to go up. And I think that's something we're going to see across the board is as inflation is affecting everything, it's going to affect cars even more. And after inflation eases, which it always does somehow, car prices might actually stay up there. There's an awful lot of demand. And I feel like the car companies getting rid of the compact cargo van might be more to do with economics than actual demand. They make more money on full-sized vans. And while there is still demand for these smaller vans, the really big demand right now is for the larger vans. And it's not so much coming from us. It's not the van life people that are buying all these vans. It's Amazon and FedEx and the delivery companies. Because in the last five years, we have changed as a society from being people who will go to the store to buy things to being people who will press buttons on a computer and have things delivered. I live in a building with 107 different units in it. You know, it's a fairly decent sized apartment building, not the largest by any means. The number of boxes we have in our mail room is more, it's just, we can't get to our mailboxes because of all the Amazon packages. It's getting to be a real problem. We had a front desk area that we used to have a security guard sit at. We had that all ripped out. Not because we don't need security, but because we need package space more. And if you look in front of our building at any given moment, there's one or two delivery vehicles out there. That's just how it is now. And in order to make all these deliveries, well, these companies need vans. And during COVID, they bought every van in sight. There is a parking lot near me next to a grocery store that has over a hundred plain white vans in it right now. And they're all different makes. There's a lot of ProMasters, there's a lot of Transits, and they're just sitting out there. And I've been watching them like, what is going on here? Why do we have this big sea of vans? And it's because they're this fleet rental company that's just starting up. And the idea is that they will lease these vans to whichever delivery company needs them. I saw someone out there putting decals on them. And now I've noticed that every time I go by, there are fewer and fewer vans because they're hitting the street. What this means for us is that vans are kind of changing. It used to be that we could get old vans that had been used for a reasonable price. And yeah, well, that's gone. That, that's been gone for at least a year now. And now we can't get new vans because we're competing against Amazon and places like that. And it's going to be years before this settles out. So what does this mean to you, the prospective van life person who wants to hit the road and needs a vehicle? Well, in a situation like this, it's time to think outside of the box. That is, 
Think less about your dream vehicle and think more about what vehicle will get you what you want, which is a comfortable way to travel. In most cases, I mean, you know what you want better than I do, but for most of us, a comfortable way to travel and see the sights is kind of the point of having this vehicle. So expand your horizons. If you had only considered, say, an NV200 or a Ford Transit Connect, maybe consider a minivan now. No, the roofs aren't as high. No, their cargo capacities aren't the same. But they can work. There are a lot of really nice builds in Siennas and caravans that you might be envious of. And you can adjust to some of these things. You can learn that, hey, you know what? A grand caravan is actually longer than an NV200. So you can't build up as high, but you can build longer. And for those taller folks like me, that's actually a benefit. Because if you put a bed on the floor of a Grand Caravan, you actually have more space than you can in an NV200. Or maybe a box truck is more suitable to you. If you're going to spend most of your time out west and you're going to avoid big cities, there's nothing easier to build out than a box truck, folks. Let me tell you, it's square. It's a cube. Everything is easy. There's a giant wooden floor you can screw into, and while the walls and ceiling are thin, you can easily cover them with plywood or something and make it completely buildable. And yeah, they've got that rolling back door, but you know what you can do is just about a foot in from that rolling back door, build another wall and then put a big sliding screen door there. And when you're parked, you just lift up the roller and you have a beautiful view out the back. I mean, they are blank canvases. You can do whatever you want with them. They also get terrible gas mileage and they don't fit under small bridges, etc., etc., etc. So that's the situation we're in right now. We are in a state where we're having fewer van options than before, even as the movement such that it is may be growing. And, you know, I hate to say this, but maybe, maybe a van isn't where you should be. Maybe you should be looking at an RV. I know they're different, right? There's a different vibe between the RV community and the van life community, and they're built differently, etc., etc. But Class C RVs are still fairly affordable, as are trailers. Yes, their prices went way up, but now that we're getting into the fall, I'm seeing a lot of price reductions. In fact, at the beginning of the year, I favorited uh, about 15 different trailers on RVTrader.com. Two of those are still available after about five months. And while that seems like, well, 13 of them sold, but having any not sell over the course of the summer is a drastic change from last year. And both of these have had their prices drop considerably. One's dropped 20%. So that's my bottom line with you here. It's time to think outside the box. If you desperately want a certain van, if you search long enough for it, you will find it but it is going to take a lot of time. One other place to look, if you haven't looked yet, is parking shuttle vans. They have issues, they've done a lot of miles, and they have weird doors, and they probably need brakes done, and their transmission should be inspected, but they're fairly inexpensive, and the best places to get those are in cities with large airports and tourist destinations like Orlando and Atlanta and places like that, because they've got tons of these things. So I'm going to keep following this issue, I'm going to keep up on what vans are available, and we can keep having this conversation about what 
should you do? Because remember, it's the lifestyle we're doing, not the vehicle. You know, this isn't the Ford Transit channel. We're not dedicated to a channel. We're not dedicated to a make a vehicle here. We're dedicated to a lifestyle. And that can continue even without vans. I mean, heck, there are people who have built homes on the back of their bicycles. And, well, you know, I'm not really suggesting that, but <laughs> it's been done. Tech talk. So you know how there is the cheap Chinese diesel heater. I mean, if you if you haven't heard that term, you're brand new to van life. Cheap Chinese diesel heaters are knockoffs of S-bar heaters that burn diesel and produce heat. And they are, according to a lot of people, and me included, the best way to heat your van in cold climates because they're easy to maintain, they're fairly inexpensive, they don't use much power, etc., etc., etc. It seems like we have gotten to that point with battery banks, power banks, so-called, and I hate this term, solar generators. Because on Amazon right now, you can buy any number of these fairly inexpensive batteries that will power your everything. They'll charge your phone, you can run your computer off of them, they usually have inverters in them, and they all kind of look the same. <laughs> what we're finding is a whole bunch of these look identical, just like the Chinese diesel heaters. And they all come from China, so it really seems like there are these generic power stations. And that's great. I, I own two of them, and I've talked about them in the past, and a lot of you bought them based on my recommendation. I have what is called a Wakami, which is a W-A-K-Y-M-E, and an Awanfi, A-W-A-N-F-I. These made-up names, and I don't think either one of them is still for sale anymore. What I found interesting was that the Wakami was identical to the Rock Pals, which was sold at the same time for about $150 more. Completely identical in every way. I think they might have been a different color. And it's because they are identical. These things are churned out in Chinese factories. And, you know, so what is the bottom line for you? Should you buy one? Well, in the Discord channel for built to go we had a couple of folks who saw this ad for a battery called the iMuto. I-M-U-T-O, I-Muto, terrible name for a battery. And it was a terrible color. It was like this magenta color battery. But it was 1,000 watts. And that's a pretty good size battery. I mean, it's like a Jackery 1000 if you want to compare. And it was only $399. Yeah. Yeah, it was $699 with a $300 coupon, so $399. So a couple of folks bought them. Uh, one by, goes by the name of Flack, and another goes by the name of Balboa, as uh, named after his his vehicle, Balboa the Land Yacht. And what's interesting here, and this is the lesson for you all to learn, is what happened to these folks after they bought them. Now, Flack had a great experience with his. He was able to power a microwave with it and a vacuum cleaner. I mean, basically, it worked exactly like he was. He essentially got a Jackery 1000 for $399, and he's thrilled. So that sounds great, right? But then Balboa has had nothing but problems. His, the charging indicator is all over the place. He can never tell if it's charged or not. And when he tries to power simple things like a vacuum cleaner, it just stops. It just gives him an error message. And, and this is the part to listen to for this. When he went back to Amazon to try to replace it or just return it because it wasn't working, the seller said, no, we can't accept that back because it's a battery. Like, so he's screwed. He spent $3.99 for something and it doesn't work. Now, thankfully for him, Amazon actually took over and said, the seller is wrong. We're going to refund your money and 
you don't have to send it back. So Balboa got to keep the battery and didn't actually have to send it back, which is something Amazon does, and you should Google that phenomenon because there's a reason why they don't make you send things back. It's a little weird. If he can make that work, he got a battery for free. But Amazon actually sanctioned the seller. The unit is no longer available, but apparently they've re-emerged as another company with a slightly different product. Now, if you want to find this company, iMuto, and you Google around for it, you'll find out that they had a web page, but it doesn't seem to work anymore. And they had a Facebook page that they haven't done anything with since 2021. And it looks like somebody probably bought a container full of these batteries. And they were lithium ion, not LifePo4. So they were, you know, the older technology for lithium. It's, it's possible they were just dumping them on the market. So what does this mean to you, the potential power bank buyer? Well, it's caveat emptor, as always, let the buyer beware. When you buy one of these cheap batteries from a company that has a weird name you've never heard of, you're taking a risk. You may not be able to get service for it. You may not, may not, you're probably not going to be able to get any service for it. You're not going to be able to get anything like firmware upgrades or anything like that. The company probably doesn't even exist except on paper. And if you're going to buy one of these, I strongly recommend you buy it from a company that's going to stand by you, like, like Amazon does. I know Amazon is a problematic company, but from the consumer side of things, they're pretty darn good. They're not so great for the sellers. And, uh, you know, hey, I've had good luck with mine. I use my Wakami and my Awanfi all the time. I uh, Just this weekend, I built a shed in the woods, and I was way far away from power, and I brought one of the power banks with me, and it charged my battery, and it powered my speakers, and it even charged my power tools, and that worked great. And I love having the thing, and it was inexpensive, and I'm perfectly thrilled. But imagine if you were like Balboa and got one of these units that didn't work, and they wouldn't take it back. And then you're just out all that money. I mean, you could file a credit card dispute or something, but you know, what a hassle. All you really want is to buy something that's going to work. So yes, I do think there is a phenomenon of cheap Chinese solar generators, and you really need to be careful just like you do with the cheap Chinese diesel heaters. By the way, I did buy a cheap Chinese diesel heater. I have not installed it yet, but I can tell you how I picked the one I was going to buy because there are hundreds of thousands of these things. I mean, oh, you want to buy a cheap Chinese diesel heater? Here are 900 different options, and they're all slightly different yet exactly the same. And oh yeah, the kilowatt rating, well, they usually lie about that because they're basically all five or eight kilowatts. There's no such thing as a two kilowatt one, except there is, but you can't find it because it's misleading. Yeah, it's a pain in the butt. I just simply went with the one with the best reviews. But not only the best reviews, the most reviews. It had tens of thousands of reviews. And I'm totally aware that Amazon reviews aren't trustworthy. But I figured that, well, this one has an awful lot. And it has a fairly good rating. Not all fives. I don't want that. I want to see some threes and fours in there because those are the ones you can trust. And Amazon hasn't shut them down yet, which is a good sign because Amazon does shut down companies that do the fake review thing. Uh, and the company had been around for like three years, so they're not totally fly by night. But hey, I may have gotten screwed. I don't know. I won't know till I install it. And I will certainly let you know how that goes. I still got to figure out where exactly I'm going to put the thing. Anyway, cheap Chinese power stations, a thing. Should you jump in? Yeah. Uh, what's your risk tolerance? <laughs> How much do you want to save money over saving hassle? It's up to you. Tales from the road. I had completely forgotten about this until recently, but uh, I was in Playboy. <laughs> 
It's true. I was in Playboy, and I was actually fully clothed. In fact, uh, my picture wasn't in Playboy at all, thankfully. No, this is a little bit of an odd story. There's a famous issue of Playboy. It's from November of 2009, and the person on the cover is Marge Simpson, and that's the issue I was in. But how I got in there... It's kind of a story nobody knows. I have an article in there, but it's actually a letter to the editor. It wasn't written that way, but that's what it ended up being. And I am not a regular Playboy reader. It would never occur to me to write a letter to the editor of Playboy. And in fact, I didn't. And yet, there's my article in there. So what happened was I was at a conference and I had given a talk called Skepticism 101, which was kind of the basics of what it means to be a skeptic and what scientific skepticism is, blah, blah, blah. The bottom line is that you should provision your belief based on the evidence and new evidence can always change your belief. There it is. Bottom line. That's all you need to know. And one of the higher up editors from Playboy was in my talk and he approached me afterwards and he said, hey, I want you to write an article for Playboy. And I'm like, uh, sure, uh, because, you know, you, you know, the old joke that uh, I only get Playboy for the articles. Well, the truth is that the articles are actually pretty good. They're fairly well regarded. It's not like the articles you'd find in Hustler or Swank or some other publication. Playboy's articles were well regarded. And I was honored and I said, sure, that sounds great. Now, I don't actually remember what the topic was. And I don't have a copy of the magazine anymore, which is a shame because they sell for over $100 on eBay now. But that doesn't matter because the important part of the story is what happened. So the editor gave me a topic and said, here, I want you to write on this. And it was something related to skepticism and I believe religion, but I don't actually remember. And I was like, sure, this was something I had written about many times. I was perfectly confident. And I wrote my article, blah, 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 a thousand words, whatever, not too long. And then he wrote back and said, oh, great, thanks for that. Um, here are some changes I suggest, you know, being an editor. That's his prerogative. And uh, he basically rewrote the entire article. I mean, these weren't changes. He basically wrote an article that he wanted to write and then published it under my name <laughs> to come somehow give it legitimacy. It was as though he didn't think that he could write it himself because if he did that, he would be representing the magazine. And because the issues were controversial, he wanted to separate those things. And so he picked me, somebody who had a byline that was associated with these issues, and that was it. And then it turned out not to be an actual article. It just became a letter to the editor. But yeah, if you, if you can find a, a November 2009 copy of Playboy with Marge Simpson on the cover, look in the letters to the editor and you will find something with my name on it. And when you do, please send me a picture of it because I don't even remember what it was about. Not that it matters much because I honestly didn't actually write it. I wrote similar things, and, and nothing in that article is something I strongly disagreed with because then I would have protested and say, look, take my name off of this. But uh, yeah, that was the thing that happened, and it makes me wonder how many other times that happens, that these letters to the editor aren't actually from people who just wrote into the publication. There's something that the publication actually commissioned. And yeah, I didn't get any money for that. I think I did end up getting a free subscription to Playboy because Playboy started appearing in my box and I had never subscribed to it. I just think it's a weird little story. And uh, yeah. Product review. 
Once again, I'm reviewing a product I have not actually tried. This is not only foolish and silly, but, uh, well, apparently something I'm going to do fairly often. <laughs> no, I haven't tried this yet because I, I'm a little scared of it, so I'm going to give you my thoughts on it and do this as a product review mostly to bring your awareness to this product. And it is um, bar shampoo, and it, it's very likely that many of you are already using this. This appears to be a young person thing, and for us old folks, we're like, what? You just, like, take the ivory soap and rub it on your head? Yeah, no, it isn't that. Although I have done that, and it actually works just fine. Now, hair is a very personal topic. Many different kinds of hairstyles. There are people like me who wash their hair and just want to forget about it and not do anything with it all day. The idea of putting product in my hair seems weird to me. I mean... I just would never think of doing that. And yet for other people, that's, oh my God, my hair will fall out and die if I don't put my six products in there every day. There's a whole wide gamut, and I'm not judging any of them. But this idea came out from mostly the backpacking community that liquids are heavy. You have water. You have to have water to live. So you don't need to carry any extra water in your products. So why not carry your shampoo as a solid? And you, then when you take a shower, you just mix it with water. Either you rub some on your hair or you lather up or whatever. And you shampoo your hair that way, thus saving the weight. And this actually makes a lot of sense. Now, these shampoo bars range in price from about $8 a bar to you know, $20, $30 a bar. I mean, you can go crazy. There's an eight-pack shampoo bar gift set for $16.99, for example. There are all kinds of different ingredients, and some of them are very strange. Like, there's one from Derma Harmony that is made out of pyrethony zinc which is supposed to be a dandruff shampoo. This one's made out of grapefruit, rosemary, and lavender. This one's made out of coconut oil. That's a very common one because coconut oil is a basis of a lot of soaps, actually. This one is... Oh, I thought it was made out of badgers. Sorry, no, that's the brand name. <laughs> this one's made out of jojoba and baobab. Baobab. Wow. Um, baobab trees are kind of rare. I'm a little concerned that they're cutting down baobab trees to make shampoo, but there may be more to the story than that. And then there's this one that is hard to ignore. Grown-ass man company solid shampoo bar. Um, yeah. So, do these work? Well, I'm a guy who doesn't care about his hair, so I'm pretty sure they work. I literally have used ivory soap on my hair and not really been too concerned about it. Yes, it does leave a residue. It's not my favorite thing, but there are times when I've stayed at Motel 6, which famously does not have shampoo, and all that was there was the ivory soap, and that's what I used. So, things to consider in your van. First off, in your van, you are not backpacking you do not have the same weight concerns. So that argument for these soaps doesn't really apply. But they do take up less space because you don't need water. They take up actually just as much space as they need to because if you think about it, a bottle of shampoo, when nearly empty, takes up exactly the same amount of space as when it's full. So they're better in that way. And they might be more versatile. I mean, you could use these things in different ways than liquid soaps. They also can't leak, so there's that advantage too. My one concern about these is that after you use them, you've got this wet bar of soap, and what do you do with it? Now, most of them come with some sort of container that you put them in, but watching some of the video reviews, the containers seem to get kind of grody. You know, they're all kind of crusty and, and I don't know. I am not convinced about the ability to save these things when they're wet, especially given that they all seem to be made out of different kinds of food. I actually wrote an article once about how a lot of 
health products tend to be made out of food. Like we're supposed to be Carmen Miranda and putting fruit in our hair. I don't get it, but it doesn't matter. I am going to try one of these. I'm going to Antarctica in November where I won't be backpacking, but I actually will. I'm going on that whole trip on with one carry-on bag for over two weeks, and I'm going to try to minimize space. I think I will pick up one of these and then cut it so it's just enough to last me for two weeks, and I'll let you know what I think. But if you hadn't considered this, well, yeah, this is a thing. Shampoo in bar form. It might just be what you're looking for, and uh, I'll have a link in the show notes to some of them, and you can take a look. A place to visit. In 1978, I visited a place that uh, is hard to forget, and that is Peru. My parents were adventurous folks, and they went to Peru in 1978. And if you look up the stats of Americans going to Peru in that year, there were very few. Fewer than 10,000 Americans went to Peru in 1978. And these days, there's probably that many in a day that go. And yes, we went to Machu Picchu, and that's not the place I'm telling you to go. Yes, you should go to Machu Picchu. It is a completely different experience now than it was in 1978. We were up there basically by ourselves. (laughs) It was just our tour bus up there. It wasn't hundreds and hundreds of people. We didn't need a permit or anything. But you should definitely go. It is an amazing experience. uh, And watch out for the high altitude, because I got sick off my butt. No, the place I'm telling you to go is, is San Francisco. Now... As a kid in Peru, when I heard San Francisco, I was like, but that's in California. I don't understand. Well, St. Francis, San Francisco, is is a guy, and a lot of stuff's named after him. And one thing that's named after him is the cathedral in Lima. And this San Francisco cathedral, or church, I think it's actually just a church, is famous for two things. Oh, it's actually a basilica. I don't have enough Catholic architecture knowledge to know the difference, to be honest. But it's a very, very old building. It was built in 1535, all right? So it's, it's pretty old, and it started out as a convent, and blah, blah, blah. But there's two main things there that are fascinating. The first off is in the lobby, or whatever part of the church that is, when you first go through the doors. As I remember, it was to the right, but giving away my memory works, so it was probably to the left is the body of Pizarro. Now, Pizarro was the conquistador who conquered Peru and the Incas and famously strangled Atahualpa after converting him to Christianity because he was a nice guy. And yeah, when I went there in 1978, his body was laying right there, and it was kind of brown and not in really great shape. I mean, it was mummified, but mm, yeah, did not look too good. And later on, I found out that they were just lying about that. That wasn't Pizarro's body at all, because someone had analyzed the body and realized that the person who was lying in that glass coffin actually had never done a day's work in his life. Um, Pizarro was a warrior. He would have had big, strong muscles and bones, and this guy was gracile and uh, probably a priest and somehow they just started calling him Pizarro for some reason. Probably because it was a tourist trap. Because tourist traps are ancient. Visit the Holy Lands if you don't believe me. So that's kind of fun. You get to see a dead body. I mean, you know, under controlled circumstances, that can be interesting. But that that's not it. Like, that's just the, the appetizer, so to speak. The real attraction is in the basement, where you will not find Pee Wee Herman's bicycle, but you will find thousands and thousands and thousands of dead people in the form of bones. Now, if you're familiar with the Paris catacombs, this is the same thing 
except a Peruvian version. And it's actually a little easier and a little nicer to visit. It's not as closed in, and it's not as big, but it's big enough. And it's just full of bones, stacks of bones, displays of bones, wells filled with bones, skulls, femurs, tibias, every bone you can imagine. They're all sitting there waiting for you to come visit. And there are no, there's nothing in the way. I, I know that my dad picked up somebody's skull and held it up, uh, alas, poor Yurik, I knew him Horatio style. And, uh, yeah. I'll have a link in the show notes. It's not going to be hard to find. If you're ever in Peru and you're in Lima, which is the capital, definitely check out the San Francisco Basilica and definitely go to the catacombs. Resource recommendation. Folks, our vans, hopefully you have a van. Well, it's made out of metal in most cases, and magnets are a super useful thing. They can keep cabinets closed. They can keep drapes up. You can hang your coats on them. Magnets are great. But you're not limited to just, like, that round magnet. You're not even limited to the magnets they have at Home Depot. If you go on the web, you can find magnets of every shape and size, and you can find exactly the magnet you want. And they're not all that expensive. I particularly like the magnets that have holes in them that you can drill into things. Very carefully, because neodymium magnets are very brittle. You have to be careful with them. If you drop them, or even if you slap them together too quickly, they will break. You can screw these in. And they come in all different shapes, and you can find exactly the magnet you need for whatever purpose. But where, you ask? Well, one place, and there are many sites I just happen to have ordered from this company, is kjmagnetics.com. Just like it sounds, kjmagnetics.com. Of course, there'll be a link in the show notes. No, this isn't sponsored in any way. It's just a company I've used. And you can even do what I did and buy like a sampler pack of a whole bunch of different magnets. Some of them are teeny tiny, and other ones are so big that it's really hard to get them apart. Two safety notes. One, magnets are dangerous. Yeah, I mean, we know they're dangerous for people with pacemakers and things like that, but I'm talking about dangerous in a couple of ways that aren't so obvious. First off is, if you remember the whole buckyball scandal, if you swallow magnets, they can get stuck inside you, especially if you swallow more than one, because they can stick to each other can cause a real problem. That was the problem with buckyballs, as kids would swallow them and the magnets would get stuck in their intestines and cause a serious problem. Don't put magnets in your mouth, okay? And don't leave them around kids. That's an easy one. The other is that they can be strong enough to pinch your skin or actually damage you in other ways. Always respect the strength of magnets. That said, go buy some magnets. They're pretty darn useful. Well, folks, thank you very much for listening to this episode 138. I am absolutely thrilled that you keep listening every week. I've got a lot of weird stuff coming up, and you'll be hearing more about that. But I'm going to be like Mr. World Traveler for the next year. And unfortunately, I can't bring my van with me, but I can bring you with me. And I intend to do that. Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg. And until next time, remember some wise words from John Steinbeck. People don't take trips. Trips take people.